Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I'm Chris Russell, and I'll be reading the scripture this morning. Today we'll be reading from Matthew 13, 31 through 33, which can be found on page 819 in the Pew Bible. That's Matthew 13, 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Community, and it's really great that you're here with us today. Uh, thanks for that. There's a lot of really good churches in our community that will care for your soul and take care of your family really well, so we're grateful that you're here uh, with us today. Uh, then today on Father's Day, we're really thankful for the dads that are here, both physical um, and biological dads, as well as spiritual fathers that God places in our lives, and um, that, that one thing I love about our community here is that we have lots of those spiritual fathers here, so we're really uh, thankful and grateful uh, for you. Um, we love the men in our church, um, and we're also aware that maybe today isn't necessarily a happy day for some because of broken and complicated relationships between dads and kids. Um, it could be a hard day because of the loss of a dad, uh, maybe the, the death of a child or infertility, or we even remember and honor in our hearts the women who have uh, passed who made us dads. So men, wherever uh, and everyone, wherever you are on that spec- spectrum, wherever your heart is, we pray that you will... Um, that you'll feel seen and feel loved and that Jesus will meet you in uh, your happiness and joy and fun that a day like today can bring. But we also uh, pray that you will feel seen and loved by Jesus even in sadness. And it's, it's not either or. It's not either all happiness or all sadness. It's okay for it to, to be both, um, or at least that's what I'm telling myself today. How about that? Today we continue in our sermon series in Matthew, and for the last few weeks we've been walking through parables of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is using these stories and illustrations that can be pretty jarring and attention-grabbing to teach his people what the kingdom of God is like, to give us a better understanding of the kingdom and expectations of the kingdom. I was thinking about the kingdom of God and how we've said that the kingdom is God's rule over his people. And there's some, there's some different nuances to that, but God's kingdom really is his people. So in these parables that Jesus is giving, um, he's giving us, again, <clears throat> he's giving us more understanding of the kingdom. And really what he's doing is Jesus in these parables is giving us an inside look at how people operate in this kingdom. 
He's giving us an inside look, almost like if we were to open the hood of our car and uh, check the oil or take a look of what's going on inside of the car. Jesus is giving us an inside look at how our hearts work. We saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus gave the parable of the sower and a sower went out into a field. He throws out seed into different types of soil. Some of the soil didn't make it, but some of the seeds made it onto good soil, grew and produced grain and multiplied. And that parable of the sower is really a great picture of our hearts because there's times where our hearts are hard and stony, where we're not ready to accept the truth of God. There's times where our hearts have to be plowed up so that the seeds that's been planted maybe years and decades before, those seeds have to be churned up or aerated. If you were to aerate your yard, the the soil has to be churned up and aerated so that it can breathe and then grow. Last week, we read where Jesus gave the parable of the weeds, and we walked through how the kingdom of God is like a, a man who plants good seed in his field. And while his servants were sleeping, that his enemy sowed weeds among the wheat. So we saw that in God's kingdom, that there is a real enemy that is seeking to undermine God's redemptive plan with his people. And that at times we don't always know what's going on beneath the surface of the kingdom. We don't always know what's going on beneath the surface of our own hearts and with other people. Things may seem healthy, but until a period of time goes by, reality of what has been been planted then shows itself. But even with all that going on in the soil and with weeds and wheat and everything that's going on in the kingdom and everything that's going on in our hearts, all with all of that, God is still in control. He's not confused. He's not panicked. And then ultimately, we saw last week that Jesus is a good and righteous judge. So that brings us now to another parable here in Matthew 13 that we just heard read. So before we jump into it, let's pray and ask the Spirit for help in understanding this parable together. So will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we need your help in understanding. Um, We always need your help. We we need you to help us um, discern, help us understand what's going on in the the soil of our hearts. And so I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to what we need to see, what we need to hear, what we need to apply to our lives. And ultimately we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use your word to do the work in our hearts to transform us to become more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump right into verse 31. So you can look at it there. Chris just read that for us. But uh, let's take a look at verse 31. Jesus says he, that's Jesus, uh, Matthew says he, Jesus, put another parable before them. Now remember, in this chapter, it can feel like Jesus is just rattling off a bunch of stories. um, But he's not just rattling these stories off like your grandpa might during the holidays. He's seeking to give more understanding of the kingdom of God, and he's, he's seeking to set expectations for the kingdom. So he uses another agricultural analogy, as he's been doing in this chapter, and says, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
At this time, many people believed that the Messiah was going to come and bring a political revolution, that he was going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire that Israel was controlled by, and then reestablish the kingdom of David and return Israel to its previous glory. Also remember that some people thought that the Messiah was going to immediately start spiritually judging and separating the righteous from the unrighteous, that Jesus was going to come and make everything that was wrong in the world, that he was going to immediately make it right. John the Baptist even assumed this in Matthew 11, and and we saw this, that he began to doubt a little bit if Jesus was actually the Messiah because judgment had not begun to be passed. People also at this time thought the Messiah was supposed to usher in the kingdom of God in a big, extravagant, dramatic way. Yet the kingdom at this time, when Jesus is giving this parable, the kingdom seemed pretty small during Jesus's ministry compared to what people were expecting. And so Jesus chooses to use just about the smallest seed possible to help describe the kingdom. I think most of us have seen a mustard seed. You can buy them in the spice section in the grocery store. I thought about bringing a mustard seed up here to show you in case you hadn't seen one before, but then I thought, that's pretty pointless because you're not going to be able to see it anyway, so what's the point of that? But a mustard seed is about one to two millimeters in diameter, so it's really small. And Jesus uses it to describe the kingdom of heaven. It seems small and insignificant. So Jesus says in this parable that when the grain of mustard seed is planted and grows, this small seed grows into a much larger plant. As I was reading up on mustard seeds this week, I discovered that one mustard seed can grow to be about three meters or close to 10 feet tall. And Jesus says that this mustard seed had grown into a big plant to where birds could even make nests in it from just this tiny one to two millimeter in diameter mustard seed. And this imagery that Jesus is using here in Matthew 13, it echoes back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophecies that describe a a great kingdom as large as a tree with birds coming to rest on its branches. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel gave this in Ezekiel 17, 22 through 23. He said, thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. So as Jesus is giving this imagery of the mustard seed and even perhaps thinking back to the Old Testament prophecies in Ezekiel, it's also possible that Jesus, as Jesus talked, he he thought about the mustard seed that grew into the large plant and that he was envisioning the coming of Gentiles into the kingdom. So something as insignificant and small as a mustard seed in this parable grows into something large, stable, and expands, and it lasts a really long time. 
So Jesus chooses one of the smallest seeds possible to say, yes, this beginning of the kingdom of heaven appears small, but the fruit that will be produced in the kingdom will be huge and have lasting effects. And then Jesus uses another parable, again, to help set expectations of the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 33, look at it with me. He says in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, to be honest, I'm far from a baker. So let me put a disclaimer out there that when it comes to baking, I really don't have any idea what I'm doing. Like, Seriously, I'm lucky if I can get one of those cookie dough tubes that you buy at the store or uh, a bucket of cookie dough to work out. And that's assuming I haven't already eaten the dough straight out of there and dodged getting salmonella. So, so if my kids ask for cookies, it's going to be pretty hit or miss. This word leaven is another word for yeast. So if I understand it right, you put yeast in dough to make it grow and expand. Am I understanding that right? I'm not like committing baking heresy or anything here. So as I understand it, you take yeast, you put it in dough, and it makes it grow and expand. So in this parable about leaven or yeast, the theme is, again, the contrast of something small and insignificant that grows into much larger, You see, bread was a staple in the Jewish diet at this time because in Israel, so much of their economy and their culture revolved around wheat. And obviously, they would take wheat, grind it into flour, turn it into dough in order to make bread. In fact, it was was really rare for them to not have a meal that didn't have bread. And oftentimes, the meal was bread. That's why Jesus in the Gospel of John used the phrase, I am the bread of life to talk about him coming to bring spiritual life to those that believe and follow them, him. And when they would make the bread, they would put the yeast in the dough to make the bread rise and expand. So the yeast wasn't necessarily used to make something grow like a seed, but it would permeate and spread throughout the dough and transform it. And so based on the measurements that Jesus gives here in this parable, the yeast could transform three measures of flour and spread throughout the dough and make enough bread for a meal for about 100 people. So Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, but grows into something much larger. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that is put into dough and makes it expand. So what is the meaning of these two parables? In the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus is teaching that the growth of the kingdom of heaven starts in small, insignificant beginnings. There's a contrast between the small beginning of the the, the tiny mustard seed that signifies the kingdom and the large plant that it would become. And this idea of small beginnings leading to big, massive growth fits into the entire story of redemption. Because God's covenant people is established in one man, Abraham, in Genesis. That covenant is then preserved in a baby that was caught in some bushes on the Nile River in a basket with Moses. And the covenant continued with a boy that was a shepherd who became a great king in David. 
And then the promise is fulfilled what we've already seen in the Gospel of Matthew. The earthly life of Jesus Christ started as a baby in a manger because Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place to stay. Then Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they had to escape to Egypt to save his life because, because Herod wanted to kill him. And before they settled into a tiny town, they eventually settled into the tiny town of Nazareth, who some people couldn't believe something good could even come from it. And then now here in Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching in parables and stories with a small handful of disciples, they're gathered around him. And when we look at the backgrounds of these disciples and where they come, came from, they were a fairly weak and inept group. But this small group of unimpressive, unimpressive men would eventually to go, would go on to turn the, the world upside down so much that we today are impacted by their witness 2,000 years later. This group of small, unimpressive men, you and I sit in this room today because of those men. And if we are believers and followers of Jesus, we are a part of this kingdom, a kingdom that is continuing to grow. This will keep going until one day a throng of people from every nation, every tribe, every people group and language will worship Christ. And on that day, the kingdom that started as a small mustard seed will be fully grown and developed. Then Jesus is teaching in the parable of leaven that again, in the kingdom of heaven, just something of an insignificant amount makes a large difference and transforms into something and expands into something that is sustainable. As he tells this parable, he's explaining that just a little bit of yeast transforms dough, transforms bread from the inside out. And the kingdom of heaven is the exact same way. Leaven is typically used in the Bible to symbolize and, symbolize and describe how sin can be persuasive, per, pervasive, it can spread, sin can uh, cause corruption, but Jesus uses it to explain, he uses leaven to explain how the kingdom of heaven permeates every part of our lives and then spreads into the world. As we said last week, these parables can be difficult to understand. They can be even a little bit tricky to apply to our lives. So there's a few realities that we can see from these three verses. So the first reality that we can see, at, see out of Matthew 13, 31 through 33, is that number one, the kingdom of God rarely appears impressive. Like I said earlier, many people at this time believed that the Messiah was going to come and immediately usher in a new kingdom. They thought that this kingdom was going to be big and extravagant and really impressive. But the kingdom from its start, the kingdom of God from its start is often, and it is rarely flashy. And the, key, the, the kingdom grows in unexpected places and unexpected people. Yes, there are times in Scripture where God does something really big and amazing among his people, like, uh, for example, in Acts 2 at the day of Pentecost. But over the span of thousands of years, God's kingdom moves in a way that is often unnoticed. 
But over, the, over time, is it is effective and it's stable. I think that when we look across the landscape of the kingdom of God, things that appear impressive, things that appear flashy are many times unsustainable. There can be good things, don't get me wrong, there can be good things that happen in these contexts, but over time, these flashy, impressive uh, things in the kingdom of God, they can prove over time to be unstable and lack depth. And this can be true in our own hearts and lives. There's times when God shows up in our lives in really big ways and brings about big change and growth in us. But over the course of our lives, most of the spiritual transformation that we will experience is going to take place over decades. In small, quiet places, in the crevices of our hearts, that over time bear out fruit. I remember as a teenager going to camp and on missions trips, I'm really excited for our student ministry. They're getting ready to go to camp um, here in just about a week. But I remember as a teenager going to camp and on missions trips and being really moved to grow spiritually. I remember thinking, I'm gonna make big changes in my life. And I remember uh, coming home really fired up But after a couple of weeks would go by, it just seemed like everything would just go back to normal. That zeal would fade fade away. I would fall back into the same sins as before. But as I look back over all of the 36 years of my life, the most spiritual transformation has taken place in slow, incremental steps with a lot of failure and falling down. Spiritual growth and and transformation has happened for me in places of heartbreak, sadness, and grief, while living life with people who've quietly just spoken truth into my life and patiently walked with me in love. And that's how God operates. That's how God grows his kingdom in unimpressive settings with unimpressive people without a lot of flash or flair. But over time, it is, it is growing. It is certain because the second reality that we see in this passage is that the growth in God's kingdom is small but certain. Because the kingdom of God is rarely impressive, there can actually be a lot of questions of whether God is actually active like we talked about last week in God's kingdom, there, uh, in, God, in God's kingdom in our hearts, there is a lot going on underneath the surface that we cannot see and aren't aware of. Because God, growth in God's kingdom is often small and incremental, it can be easy to feel like things with God are stagnant. And then doubts of, is God real? Do I actually even believe in him? Why am I continuing to fall into this sin over and over again? What is wrong with me? These questions and doubts begin to find their way in our hearts, and then panic can set in. Because what if these doubts and questions are true? What if these these doubts and and questions are actually an indication of of unbelief and, and maybe perhaps the lack of faith in our lives? 
But what if these doubts and questions in our hearts are actually an invitation from God to embrace us? What if these doubts and questions in our hearts are actually an invitation from God for us to run to him and to embrace him like as the Bible describes him as our father? To welcome us into relationship with him and to be with him. Then as we do that, as we run to our father, and it, makes, it may take some time, it may take years, we can begin to feel our hearts warm to him. And then we begin to have the ability to look back and see, okay, now I see where God has been at work. Now I can see areas of growth and transformation in my life. And I can trust that he's going to do it again. Because God's kingdom grows outwardly like the mustard seed that is so small and then grows into a large plant With humble beginnings, the kingdom has grown and continues to grow to where one day it will be in full bloom to one day it will be said, as it says in Revelation 11, 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, he shall reign forever and ever. But then on a personal level, the kingdom starts like yeast in our hearts and it slowly permeates our thoughts And then it moves into our beliefs. And then as it moves and permeates our beliefs, it changes our affections. And then it affects our motives and our actions. We're also given practices that we see throughout Scripture that help us grow. Some of these practices that help us grow is time like like time in God's Word, worship, prayer, Silence and solitude, community, and other practices. And these practices place the yeast of the kingdom of God in our hearts, and it causes it to rise and expand. And while all of this is going on, all of this takes time and is an ongoing process that plays itself out over our whole lives. So this is a call to trust, a call to trust that something is actually happening in God's kingdom, even, it's, even if it's moving at a pace that we cannot see. It's a call to trust, but it's also a call to patience, a call for us to wait for God to fulfill his promises and plans. It's a call to patience with ourselves and with others, knowing that God is working in small, quiet ways to transform us. This parable is also a call to hope that one day, if we are believers and followers of Jesus, one day we will stand in his presence and we will be made whole. We will be fully transformed and clothed in righteousness that is not our own. A couple of months ago, one night I was watching a documentary on vineyards and the process of making wine. Now, I'm not a wine aficionado, part of me would love to be, but I'm not a wine aficionado. I'm not crazy. I'm not really not that crazy about it, to be honest with you. I think it tastes like bad grapes. I wouldn't, I could, if you brought a, two bottles of wine to me and you had me taste it, I would not be able to taste the difference between a, a cheap bottle of wine and an expensive one. Um, but if you are a wine aficionado, more power to you. And I hope to maybe learn something from you one day. But in this documentary, 
it was talking about how some wine companies import grapes and they import these grapes from different parts of the world, different parts of the country, and they make wine out of them without growing their own grapes. And then they slap their own label on it and they put it on the market to sell. And apparently a lot of celebrities and athletes and whomever have a tendency to do this. And really the documentary kind of said that's, that's cheating. But if you want to do it right and make a good bottle of wine, you grow your own grapes in a climate that is conducive to these types of grapes. So these vineyards, they, they, they plant the, their grapevines when they're getting started. A vineyard plants grapevines, and they don't really even know until seven or eight years down the road if those grapes from the vines will make good wine. And that's dependent on the soil, that's dependent, dependent on the weather, and a bunch of other factors. The documentary said that vineyards and wineries like in Napa Valley and the Pacific Northwest and, and France, Italy, and, and throughout Europe, that when these, when these vineyards and wineries get started, they don't even know if their business will be profitable for 10 years. So if the vines turn out good grapes... And if these grapes make good wine, they, they, they make the grapes into wine, and they, and they age the grape, the grape juice from the, the grapes, they age it typically one to two years in vats or barrels before bottling it. Then depending on the type of wine, that wine should be drank uh, some two to three years after bottling it. Other wines should, be, should wait three to seven years uh, to, be, to be drank, I almost said drunk, to be drank in the bottle. And then even really nice ones should wait 10 to 15 years in the bottle. So they say a good wine can go through a process from planting to drinking, and that process can play out over 10 to 25 years. And it's the same way with the kingdom of God. It's rarely impressive. Growth takes a long time. There's a lot of factors to it. It's small and incremental, but it is certain. And it's certain because its origins are in God himself, who looked upon humanity, sinful, broken, and far from him, so he came and he initiated his love toward us. He identified, us, identified with us as human beings. He placed his own wrath of, on sin on himself and he died for the payment of that sin. And then he rose again to give hope and a path towards transformation, which is why we take communion. We take communion because as we, we tear that piece of bread off and we dip it into the, the juice, and we were reminded that the body of Christ was broken for us and that his blood was, was shed for our lives. We, we remind ourselves and each other as, as we take communion together. We also have over here some self-serve communion if you're more comfortable with that. We have a gluten-free station as well over here into the corner. But we take communion to remind us that the kingdom of God is rarely impressive. It takes a long time, but it's certain because it originates in Jesus Christ himself. So let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you.
Thank you that your kingdom is at work around us and in our lives, even when we can't see it, even we don't, even when we don't even know it's happening. We thank you that this kingdom just just takes a long time. It, it's playing out over centuries. We thank you that the end result of your kingdom is stable and will last forever. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins so we can, be, so we can have hope and be made more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When you're ready, you can come and receive communion.